Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast. This is episode 27. We're going to begin on page 94 with the next chapter, but first, we're going to give our introductions. Jennifer W., introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jen. What's up, Barb? I'm Barb R, an addict. My clean date is October 4th, 1995. I live in the Florida Panhandle, and I attend meetings on Zoom in New Orleans, primarily. Open mind on Monday is my home group. All right. Thanks, Barb. 27 cakes. 27, baby, 27. Paul M., what's happening? Hi, everybody. I'm Paul. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 6, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks, Paul. What's happening, Lee? Hey, Doug. I'm Lee. I'm an addict. Uh, clean date, August 27, 1987. Um, like Barb, my home group is the Open Mind Group of Narcotics Anonymous in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks, Lee. What's going on, Jane A? Hey, Jane from Salem, Oregon, over on the West Coast. My thing date is December 22nd, 1979, and I attend meetings on Zoom and in person, and my home group is the Thursday noon meeting. All right. Thanks, Jane. Our returning guest this evening is John. What's happening, John? Hi. Uh, uh, hey, how you doing? My name is John. I'm an addict. Uh, clean dates, not too far off of Jane's. I'm uh, July 23rd, 2009. <laughs> I am also from Salem, Oregon. Attend meetings there. My home group desire to stay clean. All right. Thanks. Welcome back again, John. All right, folks, the clean study for the anonymous podcast is episode 27. We're going to begin on page 94 with the next chapter and Barb is going to facilitate. Take it away, Barb. Thanks, Douglas. Good to be here with all my peeps. And Jane, would you start us off, please? You betcha. Uh, page 94, starting with the next chapter, we'll address our relationship in more detail. What we will say here is that part of learning how to live in our bodies is learning how to acknowledge the reality of our sexuality. We want to learn to express our sexuality in healthy and fulfilling ways, something that was unmanageable in our active addiction. Sex is when we're clean, when we are neither numbed out nor artificially stimulated. We can be present to our own experience and to our partner in a very different way. Sometimes this can be frightening. Sometimes it can be addictively exciting. Finding pleasure in our sexuality without thinking of it as a means of exchange or power can be a great freedom. For some of us, it takes longer than it does for others. We can enjoy ourselves any other fully in the moment and learn what is really is to connect. We can be intimate. We can open up and be real. We don't have to use each other as a drug when we treat each other as human beings. We find our own dignity. Boy, isn't that the <laughs> We find our own dignity and we learn how to be intimate. Those are the two things that really stand out for me. Um, when I got here, it was all means of exchange, mostly for love and acceptance. I wanted to be loved and accepted and so very afraid that you couldn't and you wouldn't. And uh, I think even after you, you obviously showed me that I, you would accept and love me, I still couldn't feel it. I just had that wall there that it wouldn't go through. So I knew up in the head but I couldn't feel it in the heart for a really long time. And part of that is because I had never identified my sexuality. 
my sexuality was tied to were you attracted to me, not whether or not I was attracted to you. And it was basically on the physical side of it. it had nothing to do with the intimacy of honesty or friendship or compatibility, any of the things that are, mean so much to me today. So I know it took a long time from this girl to connect. Um, not, not it had to do with steps and clearing up who I was, how I felt, and what I wanted to be. Uh, and uh, like so many um, people, I didn't know this until I listened to a lot of fourth and fifth steps, but um, you get up there in that 40s and the skin isn't quite as tight as it used to be. <laughs> you start worrying about, is there going to be anybody else? And so sometimes we can stay in relationships that I don't need to be in simply out of fear of that there won't be another one at all. And uh, um, kind of got over that one too, but it takes time. Time, T-I-M-E. There was an old fart when I was first coming in. He'd say that statement all the time. Time, it takes T-I-M-E. And I just, I resented it. I hated it when he said it. <laughs> and I find myself saying it a lot now. It just takes time. It's a process. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Anybody else? Paul? God, I'm so hesitant to wade out into this, uh, these last two chapters. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a, it's a valid point of this. I got, I got clean in 88. The first time I found out I was HIV positive in 89 had to, um, the first thing that I did was have to tell somebody. And I thought it was the end of the world. Um, I thought they would leave me and, uh, my sponsor talked me through it and uh, and I got out of that relationship, not because of HIV, but because I it wasn't a good fit. You know, it wasn't it was we didn't have shared values um, during my relapse sexuality. I went straight back to using and, you know, it's amazing how sex becomes well, at least on some level, became kind of an inconvenience to shooting dope. You know what I mean? I got to I got to stay on that train for a while. And then I got clean again and, um, and tried to have some healthy things. The one thing that was, um, was rough that I, you know, I, I hear a lot in NA is my pickers broke. Um, I, I pick people uh, based on need, not on choice, like Jane was talking about. And, um, and that neediness is never a good recipe for a healthy relationship. So um, the, the last successful, and I'm using finger air quotes as I say successful, the last successful relationship that I had was with somebody um, who was younger than I and died of an overdose. So that's, that's my success rate in Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, part of my eighth and ninth step was to take care of my mother and um, when she w became old and I eventually moved her in and that kind of became where uh, my all of my focus was, was to take care of her. And, you know, there's not time for much else between dialysis appointments and medicine pickups and putting pills in here and making sure depends are on and all of that kind of stuff that happens. But here's what happened. <laughs> she died. And I was alone. And I moved from where we had lived down to the French Quarter or just across from the French Quarter. And whoo, here we go. I had all kinds of time and I had all kinds of opportunity. And time and opportunity is always a bad recipe. You know what I mean? That's how all crimes, time and opportunity, that's how all crimes happen. And it was a crime scene. I'll tell you what, it was. It was all the time, anytime. It was commerce. It was, it was, I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and it just, and this is with, you know, this is with, let's see, she died in 2015. So this is 15, this is some time clean. You know what I mean? And um, 
fortunately I didn't use, it wasn't about using, but it was about just making these decisions that were, were not fulfilling, um, except in the moment. And that moment lasted less and less and less time. You know, and Jane's absolutely right. Time <laughs> marches on and nothing is as tight as it used to be. <laughs> Pulling my face back as we speak. And, um, you know, I don't care anymore about that. It, you know, a, a, a good night is let's order Chinese and watch a movie. That's a hot date for me. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much of it's step work. I think there is something to do with that. And some of it is maturity on some level. Um, and so um, I still I still have that need. I still can make bad choices uh, given, but you know, I, I'm looking at my sponsor's face right now and we've talked through a lot of things and there's some decisions. I still live right next to the quarter. I still have the opportunity to walk over to bars with go-go dancers on it. And uh, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. And I haven't done it in, in a good while, but it is amusing in that, uh, you know, there's still that, Kind of like, well, I wonder what's happening over there tonight. Let's see. Let's see. They should be hitting the bar right about now. <laughs> so, um, you know, like character, all character defects, they don't, they don't disappear. They're just uh, removed for this moment. So that's enough for me. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Anybody else? Jen? Thanks, Barb. I think um, part of this for me, and I think the sentence where it says, uh, finding pleasure in our sexuality without thinking of it as a means of exchange or power can be a great freedom. You know, my entire sex life, as short as lived as it was, I got clean when I was 17, but from, you know, 15 to 17, was a commodity. It was it was a it was a transactional relationship. It was one of two things. It was a transactional relationship for something that I needed to do to get loaded, or it was something that I didn't remember because uh, alcohol was the first thing that I ever put in my body, and I woke up from a lot of blackouts. I was a blackout drinker from the second I hit my mouth, and I ended up in some very strange places, uh, not knowing what happened, but pretty sure I knew what happened. Um, so I did not walk into Narcotics Anonymous with a really healthy thought process behind what that looked like for me, you know, and at 46 years old, since Jane was talking about our forties, I'm just figuring that out in my life, you know, and it's been this long drawn out process for me of trying to figure out how that, how sex plays a role in my life today versus when I was 17, whether I was 20 or 30 or through my marriage, you know, um, um, you know, having kids, like all of these scenarios in my life that have happened where all of this stuff plays a part or doesn't play a part. And it didn't play a part in my life for a really long time because I was too busy, you know, doing 12 other things at one time. And so now I'm in a different place in my life and, and it's not transactional and it's not, um, it's, you know, it's like something that, you know, like I like to do, right? Like I thought I had to do it when I got here, right? I had to do something for you, for you to like me. And mostly that was sex. That's what I knew how to give away. And and today, you know, I'm free, you know, to have sex when I want with who I want. I don't have to feel bad about what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, um, but making sure that I'm being true to myself, you know, um, which is not something, at least for this addict, that I was really good at for a really long time, right? Um, and so when I think about Narcotics Anonymous and the steps and like all of the ways that I, you know, could potentially um, you know, act out. Cause I mean, we all can act out in ways, you know, food, sex and money. Right. Um, but the one thing that I've learned, um, just, you know, recently is, is that, you know, I need to be okay with what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, what I used to think about myself, right. How I, how I thought about this process, but how I feel about myself today and what I'm doing really is my gauge today on, when it comes to my sexuality, what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I just thought I would just spend my life having sex because I needed to, because somebody wanted to, because you thought that that was something that I should do for you. And now I can do that for my, you know, I can be, be okay with me. 
Um, and it's such an amazing freedom that I just never thought I would have. So um, I'm all about my 40s right now, just in case anybody was curious, because it's so far the best time of my life. So thanks. Thanks, Jen. Anybody else? Lee? Thanks, Barb. Um, I'm gonna try to do this real quick. Jane and Paul and Jen's comments were spot on. And uh, when Paul said something about how we talk about having a broken picker, uh, it spun off to something else. I got married at around uh, three years clean to a, a woman I had been in the most insane relationship ever, even beyond what I had been through in active addiction. And, and after that divorce, uh, I picked the same woman probably five or six times in a row over a period of maybe uh, seven or eight years. And, and Paul, Paul said something about something translating from our step work. And what happened in the next relationship, which was with someone who wasn't in the program after those other same women like my wife, my ex-wife, the intimacy came from these relationships with, with my sponsor and with, with my, my close friends and with uh, like one family member that that uh, we had become, become very close. And, and I used to always say that I am a byproduct of all of the peripheral relationships. So if I'm in a primary, what I bring to that table is a result of the relationships I have with Paul and with uh, Barb and with different people. And now, and <laughs> Paul, you said it, the character defects are, 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 are dormant. I've been monogamous for about six months and it's very new because I hadn't, hadn't been in a relationship for four or five years. Yeah, about five years. And, and when that happened, it was really just dating. Um, and at some point, almost daily, something comes up in me and says, this is not going to work. You cannot possibly stay monogamous. You, you know, you need to go find something strange and just do it and, and, you know, throw a wrench in the whole thing because everything is going really well. <laughs> and, and of course, I, I kind of sometimes chuckle to myself, sometimes frustrated with it. And then I go into my, my, my program and then I do what I need to do to relieve that, uh, to put that defect back to, to arrest. Um, and so it's been interesting. I, thought, I talked to my sponsor for a long while this morning while I was driving to another town to go do some work. Um, and, and he said, just feel it. And I was like, yeah, but it's almost every day, man. I don't. I don't even know where it's coming from. It's like I'm trying to figure out why addiction is addiction. And, and that's that's a that has never been a win scenario for me. So I just wanted to to get that out. Uh yeah, you guys had some really good comments. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. You know, when you guys were talking, I've um I was so emotionally regressed. By the time I made it to the rooms, you know, I, I never really, I started at such a young age and then I hit the streets at like 17 that I never even developed through those or found myself, you know, through those formative years, you know. So when I came in at 39, 40, I was like a teenager, you know, and I was so emotionally regressed from uh, my family of origin. You know, my mom was unable to we didn't have intimacy. We didn't say, I love you, any of that stuff. So when I came to the rooms, that's pretty much how I've learned um, to have intimacy, you know, and, and it was through the rooms the first time that I said, I love you, you know, and that, that I, I was able to hug. And um, then you, you add the hustling too, where I had issues with men, you know, and I was in a couple abusive relationships. So by the time I got to the rooms, I picked like my sponsor, my first sponsor was that first intimate relationship that I was willing to trust, you know, that I tried trusting. And then I expanded out more. And then I got some men. I have a, I have a male friend, Teddy, now that's like my best friend. He's like the male version of me, you know, and we're very intimate and we're very, 
and I love him. You know, the program has given me people like that to help me heal because why I love him is because he's the female, he's the male version of me, but he loves his wife. He loves his family, you know, and he shows me, you know, and then he's loves me and he's intimate with me, you know? So it's, um, it's people like that, that have put in, that have been put in my life that I've been able to be, um, learn intimacy, you know? And, and I've, I have had men in my life for now and, and relationships for 20 plus years, you know, people are no longer disposable for me, you know, and I, and I like this at the end where we use each other as a drug. I've used people as a drug, starting with when I came in, my son's dad, I put on a pedestal. He had a few years, of, really, he 13 stepped me, but um, he had a few years ahead of me. And I remember putting him on that pedestal, using him for a drug. And then of course he fell off. And then I was forced to look at my humanity, you know, and realize that people would let me down, that I needed a higher power. But, and I used my son as a drug for many years. You know, I, I think, um, you know, somebody was talking about a relationship, I think Jane and stuff, but my son was my, um, my drug, you know, being his mother, Paul, when he was talking about his mom, you know, and um, then when he left, it, it was a whole nother layer of, of finding Barb, you know? And what I realized, I love this, when we treat each other as human beings, we find our own dignity. I did not treat people with dignity. Therefore, how could I find mine, you know? And when I went to Al-Anon and they told me that disabled by enabling, you know, I realized it just brought me to my knees that I had done that to my son. And how could I rob someone of their dignity you know, verbiage like that made me realize, you know, just how, and it, and it humbled me. It brought me to my knees, but, but thank God, you know, so now I, I really look at trying to um, be softer and to treat people with, you know, cause I've always, I got a big heart. I love people. I, I, but to really treat people with kindness and softness and, and, and give them their dignity, you know? So um, I just love this way to live. You know, I've just learned so much and, and um, from being in these rooms and from you guys, you know, who'd have thought a group of addicts would teach me all this stuff, you know? So um, that's it, anybody else? Okay, John, would you like to read? We're gonna go into thrill seeking and adventure. Would you like to read a couple paragraphs, please? Sure. Thrill-seeking adventure, long after the obsession to use is lifted, many of us still seek a rush in other ways. The drive for excitement leads us to live full and exciting lives. Rich with adventure, we are unafraid to take risks and pursue the opportunity <coughs> Excuse me, to do thing, the things we always wish we could do. Sometimes, though, it seems like we just get strung out on our own adrenaline. Whether it's gambling, sex, or creating drama in our lives, we can ramp up so fast that it's hard to scale back down. We may distract ourselves with risky behavior when we are trying to fill a void or block a feeling. It is up to each of us to find balance between chasing destructive rush, a chasing a destructive rush, and really living our lives to the fullest. So surprising numbers of us are fond of extreme sports. A member of who spends his weekends, a member who spends his weekends scaling glaciers said in those moments when I really am on the edge of life and death, when I'm not sure how I'm going to find my next foothold, then I feel present to the moment. I'm not thinking about the bills or the wife or the job. Just how good is it good it is to be alive and how I'm going to stay that way. Some of us take on competitive sports or bodybuilding and get really excited about what we are doing. We find a passion and commitment for those activities that seem lost in our addiction. We have the freedom to try new things and take new risks. Um, you know, I really can't speak to this because I'm not a thrill seeker. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, never have been. I always, even when I was younger, I was kind of uh, grounded in that way. I mean, I had, uh, but I, what I do know is I, I, when I got clean, I started living, uh, you know, I became responsible. I, you know, got the job and, and, um, you know, I spent all my years 
jump, not necessarily jumping from job to job, but I never held a job longer than a couple of years, uh, 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 it, except for when I was self-employed, you know, and, and uh, even, you know, I was self-employed because I didn't want to work, you know, I, I do enough work. I was a contractor. I'd get enough work to get by, but it was, you know, it was a uh, convenient and uh, um, yeah, I just lived off of my in-laws and my, uh, my ex-wife, she, you know, we just, we scammed a system. And so when I got clean, you know, my, I guess, thrill seeking and if you will, was, was working. I got a job and I, I held my first job. I got in recovery for five years and uh, uh, the next one for almost seven years. And now I'm in a new job, not because I wanted to change jobs, but because my employer decided to sell the business and retire. And, and so uh, I had, you know, sports, otherwise I'd still be working for him. And so uh, I guess I just grew up and, yeah, but I'm not a thrill seeker, so I will leave with that. Thanks, John. Anybody else? I can't. Uh, go ahead, Douglas. Yeah, thanks, Barb. I'll comment on the, um, uh, like, we can do things. We have the freedom to try new things, you know, take new risks. Um, that, that was something that was really uh, attractive to me early on was was like the two things the stability of of what being clean kind of offered like I, I would see these guys who who were clean for a while and they would wear a suit on Monday you know through Friday it was just really cool man I always wanted to be in a position to wear I just thought that was really neat I wanted to to be able to wear like the same suit every Monday you know what I mean I'm like the same and then a different suit but every Tuesday I would you know and that's how my mind you know, worked when I saw these guys, it was just really attractive. And um, we kind of got to talking. It was like, they laid out a little plan for me to say, well, go to school, man, you know, get, do, do certain things, you know, using, I didn't make it out of 10th grade, but this, you know, looking here talking about, I don't know if like a rush is what I would put on, but man, early on, I just wanted to travel, you know, I wanted to do things and I want, and I wanted, and then it was really a platform, man. It provided me a way to say, okay, look, Go get educated then, you know, apply for some jobs that might take you to different places. Go, you know, I've lived in a few different countries, man. you know, been able to travel. I still try to travel as much as I can. And, uh, and that's nice, man. I try to pass that on to, to my sons too. The thing I think is really cool. Like it's up to each of us to find the balance, um, you know, because I can do that too. I can take anything, anything good in my life, man. I can really just take it to an extreme. That's it becomes, that becomes so clear. The longer I stay clean, that's like the thing that's like a, the neon light, you know, it's like, well, how can I do this in moderation, man? And, you know, I never had a hobby I didn't try to make into, into a career. Seriously, I never had something to where I could just like enjoy without saying, man, I'm quitting everything else. Here's how I can make this into a business. Here's what I can do. And then I end up not liking it. You know, I do that, man. I just go and I, and I run with it. Um, so now, you know, I'm trying to have, you know, this thing uh, called moderation. But anyways, that's what I was thinking about here. Um, you know, the drive for the, the, the drive for self-improvement of what it, it just it just awoke inside of me early on in, in this process, man. I was clean. I saw other people living like a really cool life. And, uh, and I said, man, damn, I'll, you know, I want to do that. You know, so I'll, I'll pass with that bar. Thanks, Douglas. Paul. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I, I never thought of my using as thrill seeking or adventure, but there was some terrible decision making going on i um i would i remember being so loaded in houston and i hadn't lived in houston we happened to be over there for some function or party or something but i was so loaded and i had gotten separated from everybody and i was walking around houston so high in obviously a very bad part of houston and i just remember thinking i could die here and nobody would ever know you know or we had my my roommate was dating some guy who was wanted by the federal marshals for murder, but he had the dope. So we let him stay. And um, that's the kind of stuff that I don't do anymore. Now, what Douglas is talking about, 
<laughs> I am not a thrill seeker by design, but sometimes when you get out in the world, things happen. We went, I went to Costa Rica and I went hiking um, out uh, on top of the Pacific Ocean, kind of uh, on the rocks around the Pacific Ocean. And, um, you know, I'm in my 40s at that point and I'm, you know, hiking and this is going to be great. And I got a stick and I'm no shirt <laughs> on and we're doing everything and it's great and we're doing it. And all of a sudden the tide starts to come in. And how we got out on the rock is now getting covered. And you know, it's a bad deal when the locals are standing on the beach looking at you like you're crazy. And um, <laughs> uh, we, we, we almost died. We, yeah, we almost died. Um, but uh, we, got, we got saved. We got somebody who came out and got us. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a thrilling day because I was clean. I was present and I was getting out in the world. So there is this sweet spot between walking around Houston about to get shot up and hiking in Costa Rica, living my life to the fullest. And I'll take, I'll take going out in Costa Rica way over than getting shot up in Houston. I don't know why there's a difference because dead is dead. But going out that way is so much better than going out the other way. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Jen? I wanna thank you, Douglas, for talking about, you know, I, I think of thrill seeking and I think of like, you know, dangerous, but I think one of the things that I'm realizing today, and I just heard it when, when Douglas was talking was, you know, sometimes we're pursuing opportunities or taking risks that are scary, you know, and, and so, so this is my life today. Like, uh, uh, I'm 46 years old. I've been raising a family for 20, you know, my daughter's going to be 23. And last week I quit my job of 17 years to pursue a different career and go back to school full time so that I can be, do something different than I'm doing today. Something I wanted to do for a really long time, but I've been paralyzed with this responsibility of having this family and having all of the responsibility taking care of it. So when I think of it and the way that Douglas was talking about it, like it's a risk, um, but only because of Narcotics Anonymous have I been in a job, in a career, had a profession, um, raised a family, um, all of these things that I've done have been things that I've wanted to do. And now because I'm clean and because I've done all this work and I have um, a, some skills that I want to utilize differently, I get to completely change the path um, in a way that, you know, I feel like I'm being responsible, although I'm utterly terrified. I'm not going to tell you that I'm not, um, but I'm doing it anyway, you know, and, um, and, and so all of this in my recovery has been you know, um, taking these leaps of faith, right? Like when I decided I wanted to get married and have a baby, that was a huge leap of faith for me because I don't know what I was doing. I was an addict that came here when she was 17 and had no life skills, you know? Um, and so now I'm taking this new risk of, you know, getting an education, you know, because um, I didn't get out of the 11th grade and, um, you know, and, and doing this whole thing again. And so it's so strange to me to think that in three days, like I'm going to be quote unquote unemployed, uh, you know, and I have all these plans and I have all these things I'm going to do, but um, there's this piece of me that feels really irresponsible and feels like I'm doing the wrong thing, you know, and I waffle between being panicked about what the fuck am I going to do about this and, and free to, to live, live, you know, my life beyond the wildest dreams, you know what I mean? Way more than Narcotics Anonymous ever promised me because, you know, I, I stayed and, um, so, you know, you guys will probably keep hearing about this journey for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I might be completely freaked out next week on the podcast when I don't have a job, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it goes. So thanks. And the, good, the good thing is her third step is still going to be in force the day after she quits that job. It is. It's it is. still going to be there. It's not, it doesn't disappear. This isn't magic. It's still there. I just wanted to jump in real quick. I, I absolutely had thrill-seeking behavior. I can remember preteen, 
sneaking out my window with a girlfriend and hitting the streets and hitting the nightlife and just that feeling that, that came over me, you know, the thrill seeking, you know, and I often say when, when I hit the streets, I think I, I was as addicted to living on the edge and the danger as I was to the drugs, you know, it was insanity, you know, and I was, I was definitely suicidal, but I got that rush. When I came to New Orleans in 90 with my, my ex, who was running from the law that, so I hooked up, let me go with you, you know, to New Orleans. But that ambiance of New Orleans in the quarter, you know, it's like that, that feeling, that was that thrill seeking. I got that again, you know? So I've had that um, all through my life, you know? But what I've done, I think in recovery is it's changed into when, when I get, um, when I get so humble working on myself, when I'm in therapy and I get real and I get honest and I uncover something and it's so painful, but yet so humbling, that's that I've channeled that into that throat. You know, what I get from that, from recovery, that gives me that rush, that gives me that adrenaline, um, that thrill seeking stuff, you know, and that freedom, I guess that freedom, because I always said I'm a free spirit, I'm free. What I've learned is recovery makes me free. And I get that adrenaline rush when I experience that freedom, that freedom from barb, that freedom from addiction. You know, that's where I get that thrill seeking now. So I still, you know, have that. So, but I just, you know, recovery just flips it. You know, that's what my therapist told me one time, your addictions are healthier. Now I buy software instead of crack cocaine, you know, I love technology, you know, so it's healthier, but I still have that obsession and compulsion, you know. So, Lee, you want to jump in? Yeah, thanks, Barb. Um, I was kind of feeling like the odd man out there for a minute. Uh, I was 17 and got uh, arrested for interstate transportation of controlled substances and carrying firearms across state lines. So I was going to go to prison for 25 years. And so they made me go into the military. Um, and I don't know that before that, I don't, because I was really on downer drugs in high school and heroin and stuff. Um, but once I got into the military, they started teaching me stuff. Like I was, I became addicted to jumping out of perfectly good airplanes or going down a rope out of a helicopter out of a Huey 33 and, and shooting and firing and hitting my target. Um, and they taught me how to, you know, do underwater demolition and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, yeah, I became totally addicted to uh, adrenaline. And, and you know, if you've never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, you should do it. It's one of the biggest adrenaline rushes available. Um, and, and even as I came into recovery, there have been uh, different, different times uh, I used to have to drive the Dallas toll road to go up to Oklahoma, almost to Oklahoma to see a client. And I had a, a, a Audi, a very fast RS6. And I would drive that car as fast as it could go. <clears throat> now, now this is where the recovery part where kind of weirdly kicks in. So I don't know when I did it, but one day I turned the stereo off and I drove up almost from Dallas to Oklahoma in, in probably half the time it takes a normal human being or a fourth of the time it takes a normal human being to get there. But during the drive, my thought, my thoughts stopped and it was like, it became a form of meditation and I would have to go up there once a week or once every other week. I had, I had millions of dollars of this client's money. Um, and then I started looking forward to it. And I would share about it in meetings. I would talk about it openly. Like I'm driving this car at 200 miles an hour. I'm not a trained professional. And, and I don't, I remember starting the drive and I remember hitting a number and then, and then that would be it. And then I would be at the exit to get off to go to the client's office. And, and I would be like zen and calm. And they always thought that was so interesting. Like how somebody with the pressure industry I was in could be so calm. Um, so the recovery <clears throat> does come in and Paul said something about Costa Rica. There's a dive I did about four hours off of Costa Rica, which is probably one of the most dangerous underwater dives you could do in the world because of the currents. And I was, I was probably 25 years younger. So I was, I was in pretty good shape. Um, and I did it 
and 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 I did that one, and then I did another one that was at 111 feet. And somebody said something about time. Well, now that I'm in my 60s, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. You know, I've done it and I've enjoyed it, and it was adventurous, and some of it was healthy, some of it was not healthy. Um, and so it 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 comes and it goes. And and now I drive a, a truck, I drive a Chevy truck. And, and Paul and I'm saying, I drive like Papa, you know what I mean? So the recovery process has, has affected positively even the areas like throw seeking. So I, I just wanted to put that out there, guys. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, Lee. Douglas, would you like to pick up and read? I think we're at many of us, aren't we? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Barb. Uh -huh. Many of us are partial to motorcycles, and a simpler impulse may lead us to ride. I like the sense of freedom, as well as the power in the wrist. Some of us drive our cars very fast and share that excitement. And share that the excitement is not just going fast, but knowing that we're going to wait with something. We may think this doesn't apply to us until our sponsors suggest that we try obeying all traffic laws for a week, just as an experiment. While some of us find acceptable ways to chase the rush through throughout our recovery, others find the need to settle down after a while, or the, or the wreckage we create just gets to be too much. Sometimes, without an outlet for our energy, we just sit in our own anxiety. It can be surpri surprising to learn that anxiety comes from the same source as our enthusiasm. It can be useful energy if we channel it, or it can be incredibly destructive. The same power that fuels our destructive impulses can fuel our excitement, creativity and ambition it can drive us to adventure or chaos like so much of what we uncover about ourselves it can be an asset or a defect depending on how we use it um, I think there's a lot in in those two um, starting with this with the second paragraph I've heard a lot about nervous and excitement um, not so much about maybe anxiety and, and enthusiasm but like um, you know would always say like, man, I'm really nervous about something, you know, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, but really a perspective change can occur to where it's like, I'm actually excited about something, you know, I'm, I'm excited, you know, not. And so, so that's cool. That's a change in perspective there when I, when I look at things like that, but um, really, I think my comments and, and just to, to, to open up, like where it really touched me at was like, um, you know, acceptable ways to chase, you know, whatever it is, like rush, you know, different things, whatever. Uh, so acceptable ways, or maybe it, it settles down after a while, or the wreckage we create gets to be too much, man. I was like, yeah, to all of that stuff, you know, in different seasons of, of my recovery, that applies, you know, it just does. And, you know, in, in, in like the food and money piece, man, <clears throat> that's it. And for me, the most apparent, you know, of this is like, you know, with my sex life, it just is. Um, you know, so much to, to so, and I don't know, like, which, which one of these, you know, whether it's acceptable, maybe I felt like the need to settle down after time or the wreckage was, was just too much, but a couple summers ago, um, I just got to the point I needed a reset, you know, I just did, and uh, um, started talking with, like, a, a psychologist, actually, you know, and I was always real embarrassed, man, I, I really wouldn't share about it, you know, and stuff because I came up like in the school uh, of recovery where it was like well one set of steps man you know and that that's the answer to everything and it's just it just isn't you know what what my experience has been though um staying clean has allowed me to identify areas that I need to work on you know what I'm saying like that's outside so that was that was a really cool thing for me but then a couple of summers ago man I put I put 33 days and 66 days together with um like with no masturbation, you know, no nothing, wasn't with anybody, wasn't, you know, with myself and stuff. And I tell you, man, that was a beautiful time for me. You know, it just was, it, it was just beautiful. And that was like the wreckage we create just got to be too much. It just did. And it just did. And I wasn't, we, we, we started this episode talking about, you know, that unfulfilled, that unfulfilling, I'm doing this stuff, man. And I'm chasing this stuff, but I am, I'm, I'm, I, I feel less than, than when I started, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 it, and folks, if you guys have been rocking with us on the podcast, you know, so we've been rocking for about a year and a half, you know, year and nine months now or something like this, you know, a year ago, man, a year ago, you know, I, I was uh, participating in like video sex, man, with, with, with anybody, really with anybody. And, uh, and that, <laughs> bro, it got blasted on social media, 
you know, and and uh, and it was like ninety eight percent of the stuff was true. I couldn't even wave the flag of saying no, this isn't really true. <laughs> Most of it was was true, and and um, damn, bro, when like when when this stuff with like whatever I'm chasing, man, you know, and I get that mirror put in. Whew, man, it's like that's enough, you know. So 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 I practice, you know, abstinence, man. Um, th- th- this journey that I went on last summer it was from like January, February to, you know, to a few months back. Um, I'm not being with anybody else, man. It was me, like no video, no phone, no nothing. And uh, and I'm gonna tighten up. I don't want to, you know, be sharing for forever. But just wanted to say, like that, that was a very enlightening process with me, man. And you know, and you guys know, Paul sponsors me. We talked about this as like. Like I can experience like some kind of, you know, intimacy now, man, you know, be, before like a thought of going out to get some coffee with somebody to kind of get to know them, I'd rather go to the dentist. <laughs> like that was not something I'd want to do. Now it's cool, man. You know, now it's good. So my experience has been like times when, when, when it's just getting too much, there's too much dust in the air. Um, I've, I've, I've had to take a pause, let that dust settle a little bit. And then I can say, okay, hey, is this fulfill, fulfilling? This isn't. There's a light inside of me, man. If, if it's getting dimmed, I can stop that behavior. If it's getting inflamed, then I can, incre- you know, I can keep doing that. And, uh, and that's what I've been trying to do, man, and it's cool. I haven't found the need to jump off the cliff, you know, in, 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 in things I'm participating in. It's fucking freedom, man. It's freedom. And I feel, last thing I want to say for real, because I'll really kick it back, but like, man, I feel guilty, man. You know, I feel guilty talking about like this has been, it's been an area where I've struggled at my entire recovery period and, and, and before for sure. And like to experience some freedom now, it just seems surreal, man. It really does. It just, it, it just does. So, all right, I'll, I'll pass with that. Thanks Douglas. Thanks for your transparency. And that's why, I, that's why I share, like I share because the freedom I get from it, you know, when I put it out there, um, it, it loses its power. So anybody else? No. Lee, would you read when? Start with when, please. Yes, thanks, Barb. When I find myself, when I found myself in self-centered fear, said one member, I would take risks that could ultimately cause me to lose everything. I was living on the edge clean so I could feel something other than the abyss of not using. I filled the void with things like gambling, shopping, anything that made me feel powerful when I was powerless. Now that I can see myself more clearly, I realize that I have to be more aggressive with treating my disease, taking its deadly nature into account. At some moments, it may feel like we're holding onto our recovery with both hands. There are times when we just bulldoze through an obsession to use or act out in some other way. There are times when fear of our disease leads us to shut down, resist change, or or fear novelty because anything that takes us out of our routine might put us at risk. But recovery doesn't always have to be about ducking. When we know our lives are in the care of a loving power greater than ourselves, we are able to let go. Some of us express this very literally going skydiving or bungee jumping as a way to really step out. For most of us, though, letting go is a little less dramatic. We start to experience life as an adventure and apply that willingness to try in other areas of our lives. Um, Those are both two very powerful paragraphs, and it kind of almost summarizes all all what we've been talking about tonight. I can remember when shopping was my hit. If I could go buy a new suit, Doug, you know, have a closet full of them, but I, I needed a new one. That was the hit. It was using, and it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, I'm not a gambler. I used to go to Vegas to see my family, and sometimes I wouldn't even gamble. I could take it or leave it. So that was never a, an area for me. But I can remember when, when I had a sponsor when I lived in Dallas who was a, a very successful criminal defense attorney. He argued for a living. That's what he did for a living. He was a multimillionaire. So 
you know, in the middle of step work, I would say something and he would, he would be like, no. And every impulse in me would want to argue with him. But the recovery part, the other part, the last paragraph would make me kind of settle down and listen to him. And, and it, it would sink in and it took time. It wasn't overnight. It was definitely over time. But he was like, Lee, you're going to build another closet because you have too much clothes. I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? I need, I need to be, you know, appropriately dressed for work. So, and he said, no, no. Why don't you give like half of that stuff to uh, Salvation Army or somebody and, and try to minimize <laughs> the washroom. And it, it, it was like he was speaking to me in, a, in Latin, in a dead language, you know what I mean? And it took time and I, and eventually, I mean, I left some claw marks on it for a while, but eventually I let go and I did and it worked and it was wonderful. Um, but recovery doesn't always have to be about ducking. And Paul said this earlier, uh, commenting to Jen, when we know our lives are in the care of a loving power greater than ourselves, we are able to let go. And, and I'm gonna stop there and highlight that because that is uh, my current experience. Uh, due to, due to uh, technology, Barb, a job yesterday where I should have made $4,600, I only made $2,600. And this morning, there was a piece of me that was like, you know, it's your fault, it's your fault. You picked this, you picked this software, I didn't pick this. And I didn't do any of that. I shifted my perception. I became grateful that I make enough money in one day that people don't even make in two weeks. And I left, I left the office laughing and I'm kind of happy and did another third step when I got in traffic on a spillway and it's been an amazing day because of that, because that power, I am not confused. It's not of me, it's of that power. So that's, that's way too much out of me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. Anybody else? Jen? I really like that sentence too, Lee. I am, um, you know, uh, my dis you know, my disease convinced me for a long time, you know, and I probably had more freedom in the last eight months um, than I've had in a really long time in my recovery because I was convinced um, that my worth was based on staying married, even though I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't happy being the PTA president, being being all of these things to other people and not thinking about me, you know, and, 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 and not in, in a selfish way, right? Just in a way of what was I doing to enrich my life? And, and what I found was, is that I did not want to give that to my higher power. I did not want to give what I perceived as my worth as a woman, as a mother, as a wife to my higher power. Because if I did, my higher power might remove all of those things out of my life that made me feel worthwhile. And so here I sit, um, you know, uh, in a real, I'm not the PTA president, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm changing every piece of my life and what feels a little chaotic sometimes, but once I gave it to my higher power, guess what? He, I was given the opportunity to do all the things I didn't want to do in the first place. Right. So I was just, I was enabling myself to be stuck, you know, instead of listening um, to what I knew my higher power wanted for me more, you know, different. Um, I don't want to say more. That's the wrong one because, you know, I always think more is better. I don't want more anymore. What I want, what I want is to live a life where I feel free. And in that freedom, I get to have all of these really new fun experiences in my life. Like quitting my job. Who knew that'd be a great experience, right? Um, or going back to school. I mean, you know, I, I think like Douglas said, like some of my nervousness and being terrified is really a lot of excitement. And I just don't know what to do with all that pent up energy of like, I get to do all this fun new stuff, right? So I just came to this place where I knew, I knew that my my disease was telling me that I had to do all these things and I'm not any less or more of a woman today or an addict in recovery or a mom than I was 
before I made all these decisions, right? I'm the same person. I'm actually a better person. I think my kids like me better. You know what I mean? I think my friends appreciate me more um, because I'm not so sullen and upset about all of the instances or the things that are going on in my life that are happening to me. You know, nothing happened to me. I did that. You know, I made those decisions. And so today, where I find who I am and my worth is is based on totally different you know, ideas, you know, um, the, you know, my higher power is love for me, you know, the service I get to do in the fellowship of narcotics anonymous, the girls that I work with, you know, um, you know, listening and enjoying my children instead of being angsty about everything else that I have to do, you know, um, sitting down and watching a freaking movie, you know, like simple things in life that I forgot about. And so today, you know, my recovery has drastically changed into this process of like seriously higher power. Like I knew, you know, I couldn't get from my head to my heart. Like I knew my higher power always wants the best for me, right? Like the HP's got it covered every day, but I have to let it happen, right? If I don't let it happen, uh, then I stay stuck in that place that I was. And, and, and I had to literally tattoo freedom on my wrist recently, just so I didn't forget, didn't forget how I got here. And, and, and that's, the beauty of recovery well as well is like I've started over quite a few times in recovery, different changes in my life, doing different stuff. Like this is just another addition to this beautiful life that recovery has given me, right? Like I'm, I'm the magic of recovery um, is still here, you know, and I see it again and it's amazing. And, um, and I'm just super grateful. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I, um, when I first got clean, they, they used to ask me, what's your motivation? Like, check your motives, check your motives. And, it, you know, it pissed you off because, you know, like, oh, God, I don't want to keep checking my motives. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if this thrill-seeking life is about filling a void, it's never going to work. Conversely, I want to see... Whatever time I have left on this earth, I'm 61. I want to see it as an adventure. I want to see, you know, new possibilities arise. Wasn't that the theme of a convention? You know, I want to have, I want to see the best in front of me, not behind me. And I, and because of, of Narcotics Anonymous, and the step work and the tradition work and being involved with the podcast and going to meetings and sponsoring people and being sponsored. I have that outlook on life. I'm, I'm look, I'm, I've been in a holding pattern for a little while now, but it's a very good holding pattern. I'm sitting in a wonderful apartment. I like the people that I work with. I like my friends. I went out to lunch with my sponsor today. He picked up the bill. I got a good sponsor. That's great. It was, it was fun. There were people in the restaurant I knew because of work and because of friendships. And I was a very lonely person sitting in a bathroom with a needle hanging out of my arm when I got here. That is not my life anymore. Just my life is, is adventuresome and thrill-seeking. So I don't know what's the next year, year and a half. I might be changing careers like Jennifer. But I have the possibility. I don't know if it's going to work out. But I, every time I talk to somebody about this, everybody in Narcotics Anonymous says, why not do it? And if you don't like it in a year, come back and do what you were doing. We don't, our higher power doesn't go, eh, wrong decision, you are fucked. That's not a, it's not some kind of higher power game show. And if you get the wrong answer, he comes down and gets you. That's not how any of this works. Loving, caring, greater than you. That's all we ever said about that. And anybody who's loving, caring, and greater than me doesn't get me with my decisions. Even when I make a bad one, my higher power stands over there and goes, oh, I wish he hadn't done that. I told him not to go to the go-go boys. It's never gonna be enough. Thanks.
Thanks, Paul. Your sponsor can afford to pick up the check. <laughs> I'm honored. Damn right, girl. Damn right. <laughs> I'm honored to be a part of this and be with you guys. And I think that's a wrap for this week. Thanks. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.